about, gosh, 10 years old, maybe uh, 10 or so. I grew up in a family of five kids. Uh, every now, or we had one period of time where my mom married a fella and brought his three kids. So there were eight of us for a big season of time in my home. And just a little house, but we, a lot of, a lot of kids, right? Five girls, dear Jesus. Uh, yeah, anyway, so while I was there, I remember uh, this one particular season. I don't know what happened, but I ended up getting, uh, I would say I got my own bedroom, but really what it was was it was the pass-through pass way from, the, from the, uh, the back porch into the kitchen, and it was uh, enough to where I stuck a bed in there and called it my room, right? So come on, when there's 80 around there, you just find a spot, right? So found a spot, called it my room. Anyway, my mom one day was deciding to re- do our living room. And so we had these shelves that were like from ground to uh, ceiling, these shelves, big tall shelves uh, in the living room. And, and I don't know, maybe, uh, gosh, probably five or six feet wide. But these shelves uh, were, were kind of cool. Remember, it was early 80s. So, uh, but she was done with them. She wanted to paint the living room and she was done with them. So she took them off the wall and so they were sitting in a pile, well, in my bedroom because it was the passway room. So I thought to myself, well, why not? So on my 10 years of age, decided that I was going to put them up. And I know that it was around Christmas time because I knew that that evening, Santa Claus was coming to town, was going to be on TV with Burl Ives. Come on, man. No Netflix, no Hulu. It was just, you missed it, you missed it. I mean, I'm talking about, right? You get one shot at the Wizard of Oz every year. You know, you, you, same thing. So the Christmas special was coming on, and so I was wanting to watch it. Well, earlier in the day, I took the shelves and I put them up in my bedroom. I took my, I, I, I put the shelves on there, I put some books on there, I put a couple of my model cars and planes that I had built and put them on there. I arranged them. I was like, decorator, I'm telling you. It was looking good. I even, you know what, I went down and I actually found a lamp that I had bought at a, at a garage sale. All of my, I'm telling you what, they, they could have hired me. But, but I, I, I bought this lamp and I put it on the shelf and it was like, man, it looked good. I remember stepping back thinking like, I'm good at this. Right, all 10 years of me, right? So I was so happy. Well, the evening came, and I decided to go out in the living room and watch Santa Claus was coming to town. I heard Burl Ives sliding in on his little snowman thing. And, and I remember listening to it, thinking, like, I'm so excited. Room looks good. Christmas special's on. Could it get any better? Come on. About halfway through the movie, I remember hearing this crash. I literally thought to myself, Wow, someone must have made a mess. And that's all I thought. I thought, wow, somebody must have made a mess. Too bad for them. Continued watching Santa Claus was coming to town, loving every minute of it, right? Taking a, you know what happened, right? I go walking in there after the thing, and I'm like, what? It's all on the ground. Oh, my gosh. It was just a big, ugly mess. I had all the right intentions, but I had the wrong method. I had all the right plan, but I had all the wrong purpose. You know, I wonder sometimes if we deal with God that way. We can have all the right intentions to do something, but have all the wrong methods on how to do it. I want to talk to you today for the next couple of weeks, actually. I want to start today about something in the Bible that God's been placing in my heart for a couple of years. In fact, I know it's been a couple of years because Polly, I told her, she asked me what I was going to be preaching on. I told her what I was preaching on. She goes, man, you've been talking about that for a while. And the truth is, it's just been her and I at home talking about it. And God's been sharing it with me. So 
I'm going to kind of unload it on you today, so hopefully it'll be all right. So let's pray, can we? Jesus, I pray that you help us to hear what you have to say. And God, I pray that I make sense of this, of this message. Lord, I pray that the right motives and the wrong methods, Lord, would, would be straightened out and that we would have the right motives and the right method. We need you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, when you try to understand reading in the Old Testament, oftentimes we can get lost in some of the imagery. Sometimes when you read the Old Testament, you can get lost in some of the, the imagery. And at face value, it can make sense. But sometimes there's, uh, how many of you know that oftentimes there's a meaning inside the meaning? And sometimes we miss that. We can hear the face value message, and it is what it is, and it's good. But oftentimes there's something more if we just slow down. Uh, for example, this isn't the part of the message, but this is an example uh, the children of Israel are, uh, they just spent 40 years in the desert. They just crossed, oh, they just did their whole time in the desert. God says to Joshua, it's time to enter into the land of promise. It's time to leave the desert and bondage and move into your land of promise. So it says here in Joshua chapter 3, verse 15, this is just an example. It says, now it was harvest season. The Jordan River was overflowing its banks. But it was soon as, uh, as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark of the Lord touched the waters of the river's edge, the water began to pile up to, uh, at a town upstream called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below the point flowed down to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. And all the people crossed over on dry ground near the city of Jericho. Now we can read that at face value and think like, wow, that's awesome. They were in bondage. God parted the waters and they walked through. Message delivered. Message received. Enough's enough. But if we slow down and read this passage again, we can see that there's actually a story inside the story. For example, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant that was carried before, the Bible says that the priest would carry the Ark of the Covenant on poles. And it says once the priest walked into the water, it says their, their feet touched the water and the water began to dry up, right? They, they walked in. Now the Ark of the Covenant was a box and inside the box there were, uh, there was the manna from the, their time in the desert. And so there was a jar of manna. There was Aaron, Moses' brother's staff was in there that had budded like flowers. And then there was also the Ten Commandments. Those three items were in the Ark of the Covenant. They represented to the nation of Israel the presence of God. So as it turns out, the message we see is the, the children of Israel go walking into this water, this insurmountable at flood stage river, and as soon as they touch it, the Bible says like the presence of God touched it and the water parted, right? Where did it part? Let's read back here in verse 16. It says that the waters parted at the river's edge. It says uh, the waters began piling up, uh, up, up at a town upstream called Adam. Everyone say Adam. Near Zarethan. And when the water below that point flowed down to the Dead Sea, everyone say death. Get the picture here. The children of Israel go walking into this water at flood stage with the presence of God. Once the presence of God hits the water, it backed all the way up to a place called Adam. You know Adam, Adam and Eve, Adam. And it went all the way down into the Dead Sea, you know, de death. From Adam to death, God made a way with his presence into the land of promise. You and I read that now and we're like, good for them. But now we can read it again and go, good for us. His presence made a way for us from Adam's original sin all the way down to death, that we can now have life to walk into our promise. Can somebody say amen? amen. You don't seem impressed. See, that's the picture, right? Sometimes we, can, we miss the picture inside the picture when we just read the story. 
Now, I tell you all that to say something that I want to share with you that's been on my heart. I want to talk to you this morning about a threshing floor, a threshing floor. Now, I used that example before because I want you to know that there's a story inside the story. And if we see it at face value, it's just fine. But there's more to the story if we allow it to show up in our hearts. A threshing floor. What's a threshing floor? What's a threshing floor? The Bible is filled with the imagery of this thing called a threshing floor. A threshing floor was this large, flat area that, that was like a, it was as close to pavement as you could possibly get. A threshing floor was where they threshed wheat. Remember, a stalk of wheat, when it grew up, they, they had to harvest it by cutting the stalk of wheat down. Now, the stalk of wheat, you just couldn't gnaw on because it, you wouldn't make bread that way, right? You had to get to the seed inside of the uh, husk that was inside of the wheat. What I mean by that is, uh, think about a, uh, a sunflower seed, you know, the kind that, that, that aren't shelled, right? You put them in your mouth, and some of you are good at just putting them up with your teeth and spitting it out, right? And keeping the goodness inside, right? Wheat's just like that. It has a hard outer shell, but it's little. In order to separate that hard outer shell from the stalk of wheat, you had to thresh it. It had to be beaten or trodden or, or stepped upon so they could be separated from this stuff called chaff. Everyone say chaff. Chaff, worthless. Wheat, kernel, really good. Okay. Let me explain what a threshing floor is. Can you, can you put those pictures up real quick? So this first, that, let's go to another one here. Go to that first one. There you go. So that looks like a threshing floor. A threshing floor is kind of this big open area. There's another one there, kind of a more picturish looking one uh, right there. So you see that it's a big round area. Now, if you'll notice, there's mountains on the other side, but usually it's a clear open space that sits high geographically. The reason it sits high is because the, the, the farmers would take all the wheat and they would harvest it and throw it on the floor of the threshing floor. And then they would, uh, go to the next one there, they would... Uh, uh, there you go. See that piece of wood right there? That piece of wood has a bunch of rocks or stones in it. That's called the tribulum. A tribulum, it's actually where we get the word tribulation, tribulum, uh, trouble and tribulation. It's a, it's a big, it looks like a, a, a big board that is attached to a rope that the farmer steps on and, a, and an oxen pulls it around the circle. And what happens is all those rocks tear and rip at the wheat until the seed falls from the chaff. Right, And then that little sift, or there's a winnowing fork right there. So here's what happens, is all that stuff gets threshed. The, the, the cow, the, the oxen, and the, the farmer trot over that thing. He slides around on this, this tribulum. By the way, tribulum, where we get the word tribulation, uh, we forget that some of us have had tribulation in our life, right? Tribulation is, feels like it's ripping and tearing. It feels like you just can't, it can't get away from it, right? That's where we get the word tribulation from, is the tribulum. It's like this thing you just can't get your breath from. And so this thing would slide around on the wheat or the barley, and it would tear it limb to limb and leave behind the seeds and the husk all sitting on the floor of the threshing floor. Then in the evening, typically in the uh, Mediterranean area, the wind would start to blow. And when it would start to blow, can you throw that other picture up there? One more? Oh, maybe it's not that one. One. It's the one where the, uh, maybe I, I deleted it. Let's go backwards. So, so uh, this one there, the, so what happens was the, the farmer would take that winnowing fork and he would stick it while, while the wind was blowing and he would throw just a scoop of 
straw with chaff and the wheat in it and throw it up into the air. And what would happen was the wind would blow away the stuff that was lighter, which would be the chaff, the worthless stuff, and all the seeds would fall to the ground, right? And then that little round circle thing there was called the sieve. And it was just, it had a hole, it had a hole, like a little screen, it had holes in it small enough that would just care, that, that would just kind of uh, do again what it was the farmer was doing with the winnowing fork. It would sift it out. It would sift all the rest of the impurities and let the seeds fall to the ground. Uh, that word sieve right there, sieve, is the round thing. That's the same one that Jesus used in Luke 22 when he was talking to Peter and says, Peter, the devil wants to sift you like wheat. What he's saying is, is this. He's saying he wants to sift you. He wants to ex- the devil wants to expose all of your chaff. He wasn't saying the devil wants to get all your good seed out of you. He was saying the devil wants to show how bad you really are. In fact, he's talking about us. The devil wants to sift all of us. And how often do we hear those words all day long? I'm worthless. I can't do it. I'll never be enough. I'll always be a mess. That's the devil sifting you like wheat. And all the good stuff falls to the ground. Now, after the, the, the throwing up into the air of the, of the chaff and the wind blowing it away and then the, the, the sieve where the sieve as it going through, you could see on, the, on the, the ground floor, the farmer would go back and he'd pick up all the seeds. By then, it's just seeds on the ground. He could scoop it up. And he would put it into a, a bucket or a pail or somehow collect all the seeds. And then, this is an amazing part. This is where it gets a little PG-13, so buckle up. Listen, if you have Netflix, it's not a big deal to you. You know it. So, so here's the deal, right? So let me explain. Go, go to that, uh, those millstones that were right there. These millstones right here, there's a stone on the bottom and a stone on the top. In most threshing floors back here in the first century and before, these two millstones would sit in the middle. They would sit in the middle of that whole thing happening in the threshing floor. And what happened is, to see the hole in the top? The farmer would take and he would pour in the seeds, like the sunflower seeds that needed to be separated from the shell, pour them in the hole. And then as, uh, the, in the bigger ones, there would be two posts that would stick out the sides and another set of cows or, or, or oxen would grind the top stone against the bottom stone. Now here's where it gets a little crazy, but understand this. The bottom stone was called the male stone. The top stone, the female stone. The picture here is that of a bride and a groom grinding out the, the, the hardness of life and creating flour that would become the bread of life. It's this picture. You're wondering, where are you going with this, Pastor? The threshing floor. The threshing floor is a picture of intimacy between God and his church. The threshing floor was this place that we experienced this morning of worship, where our flesh gets exposed and there's nothing to hide behind because it's wide open and we get to get crushed in his presence so the goodness comes out. Hmm. Hmm. Open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. amazing when we decide to do something with the right motivation but the wrong methods we make a big mess of stuff don't we you try to hang a 10 pound shelf on a 5 pound hook you have the right motivation but the wrong method it falls to the ground ask 10 year old Lance 
Over and over we see these places and these moments in time where we have right motivations but wrong methods and we end up making a mess of stuff. You can have the right motivation to help that lady at work and talk to her about her troubles and struggles in the midst of her thing. You have the right motivation but the wrong method and you find yourself getting messed up in your own marriage because you're trying to help her out. You can have the right motivation but the wrong method and get yourself in trouble. You can have the right motivation to want to go to your kid's school and see their play and be there to watch their whole thing, but be, but be caught on your phone the entire time and have the right motivation but the wrong method and hurt your babies because they're looking for daddy to look at them. You can have the right motivation to want to do something but the wrong method and make a mess. I want to read you a story today about about some people who had the right motivation, but they had the wrong method. And it ended up creating a big, ugly mess. 2 Samuel chapter 6 was a story of King David wanting to bring the ark of God, the ark that we talked about. The, the ark was the presence of God. It had been lost, and it had been, it had been taken by the Philistines, and he wanted to bring it back into the city. And so with all the good intentions, he had all the right intentions. He had the right motivation. But you'll soon see that David had the wrong method, and it cost somebody their life. 2 Samuel 6, verse 1 says this, Then David mobilized 30,000 special troops. He led them to Baalah, of Judah, or Kiriath-Jerim, to bring home the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the ark of, the God, ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the hillside, from the hillside home of Amminadab. Uzzah and Ahio, Amminadab's sons, were guiding the ark with the, with the ark of God on it, with Ahio walking in front. Verse 5 says, David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all their might, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, uh, castanets, and cymbals. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled. Uzzah put out his hand to steady the ark of God. The Lord's anger blazed against Uzzah for doing this. And God struck him dead beside the ark of God. David was angry because God's anger had blazed out against Uzzah. And he named the place Perez Uzzah, which means outbreak against Uzzah. And it's called that to this day. Hmm. Sometimes I read my Bible, and I think uh, maybe you do too, but we're afraid to ask the why questions. Some of us get a little afraid to ask why. Can I tell you, one thing I've learned about my relationship to God is God's not afraid of your why questions. I think he actually likes your why questions. But what I mean by that is the hard ones, right? I mean, I'm, I wrote down some why questions here. Why did God pour out his anger on Uzzah? He's just trying to help. Oxen stumble. The ark was going to fall. So Uzzah reaches up to try to stop it. What's the big deal? He's just trying to help out. Or maybe another why question if God was so mad at Uzzah, why did he wait until the threshing floor to take him out? Maybe another question might be, when they were trying to get to Israel with the Ark of God to bring it back into the nation of Jerusalem, or to bring Israel, the Ark of God, back into Jerusalem, why did they go across the threshing floor? The threshing floor was a place of work. It was the place of where they threshed wheat. Why, why, would they, why would they take a shortcut across the threshing floor when they could have just gone around? 
Hmm. I wrote down a few things that I think are important for us to remember about this threshing floor. A threshing floor is a picture of intimacy. A threshing floor is a picture of intimacy between a bride and his groom, or her, her groom. The threshing floor is also a picture of judgment. Judgment, where you read later on about the threshing floor, and it's, it's a, this was called the threshing floor of Nacor, but there was a threshing floor of Urana that maybe you'll read about later and we'll talk about next week, but the threshing floor of Urana was actually the place where the temple was built in Jerusalem. In fact, right now it's the place where the Dome of the Rock is sitting. If you go to Israel and you see that, that, that Muslim dome sitting there, it's actually, there's a rock underneath that thing. And that's, that's, they believe that's the place where the threshing floor of Orana was, that the first temple was built. There's something about a threshing floor that God is really interested in us seeing. Hmm. How do you return to right method? We can have the right method, but the wrong, the wrong way of doing something. We can have the right motivation and the wrong method. How do you get back to the right method? Number one, getting back to the right method. Get the right advice. Get the right advice. In Chronicles, this is another version of the same story. It says this, David consulted with the officials, including the generals, captains of his armies. Then he addressed the entire assembly of, of Israel as follows. If you approve this and, the will, and it is the will of God, then let us... Uh, let us send messengers to all the Israelites throughout the land, including the priests and the Levites in their towns and pasture lands, and let us invite them to join us. It's time to bring back the ark of our God, for we've neglected it from the time during Saul. Now today, listen, uh, you hear it like that. David literally consulted everyone. He consulted everyone on how to move the ark of God from this place that it was sitting to the place that he wanted to be. He consulted everyone except the right person. He asked the army officials, he asked uh, uh, the, his, his closest officials, he even asked the people, hey, what's your opinion on how to do something? You know, God's got a way of doing something. Actually says in Exodus 25 and in number 7, it says this, the ark of God should never be put on a cart, but the ark of God should always be put and bore upon the shoulders of a priest using poles to carry the ark. God had already pre-prescribed how the ark was to be moved. I think it's amazing to me that this, this place of intimacy, this place of, of, of joining God with us and him, that oftentimes we come to it like Uzzah did with our own ideas. And David, in this case, consulted everybody but God on how it is that he was supposed to move this ark. I think sometimes we do the same thing. We want intimacy with God. We want clarity from God. We want his will to be done in our lives. We want God to, to show up and we'll consult everyone except him. We'll consult all of our friends and we'll even look on Facebook. We'll just look on Facebook. Check out Twitter. Jesus' name. All else failed, we'll Google it. We'll do everything except actually consulting the word of God to find out what it is that God's will is for that area of our lives. God, should I stay here? Lord, should I, uh, should, should I move to that place? God, should I leave this uh, person? Should I forgive her? Lord, should I get that job? Should I do those things? Can I tell you this? Uh, there's so much already communicated to us. I believe, I even said this before, I think the will of God, there's like 95% of God's will is already communicated to us in the Bible. 
It's clear to us in the Bible. The problem is, is we don't read it. We talk to each other. If we wanted to know God's will and began to hear what God's heart was for each other, we would forgive each other. You don't have to ask God to forgive that guy. <laughs> he already said to. You don't have to ask God a lot of things that we somehow have made to be true. Instead, we consult, we consult our culture. And our culture is telling us what truth is. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you this. God has not changed. Let me say it one more time. God has not changed. Our culture has. Our culture is deciding what truth is. And we're not allowing the word of God to say that's not true. David consulted everyone else before he finally, well, cost a man his life. Hmm. How do we turn to right method? Number two, stop paving the road with good intentions. There's a, statement, a, a phrase that some of you might know that says the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Samuel chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 through 8 says this, or chapter, verse 5, says, David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all their might, singing songs, playing all kinds of musical instruments, harps, lyres, tambourines. You'd think God would have been happy. They were doing everything. They had the right intentions. They had good intentions on wanting to, well, make God happy. They had good intentions on wanting to please God. I love the fact that David at least had that right. Like, hey, listen, I, 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 at the time, so we're going to go get this ark of God, and, and we're going to carry it or get it here somehow, but on the way, we're just going to worship like mad. Can I tell you where David messed up? He had the right motivation, but he had the wrong method. The motivation was to give God glory, but the method was to just sing louder and just make more noise. And somehow, if we just sing louder and make more noise and never prepare our hearts. That's why it was so beautiful what happened this morning in worship, where we got to stop just for a minute. And maybe this is the first time it's ever happened to you. But to slow the train down long enough, could, could you imagine if every time you began to read your Bible or you came to church, that you, you, you set your phone down and you just said, God, would you prepare my heart? Clean me. I, I just want to offer pure praise to you today. You began to say, God, I just want to offer you all the right, clear praise to you. Sometimes our good intentions end up making a big mess of stuff. Because we can have the right intention but the wrong method and make a big, ugly mess. Number three, how do we turn to right method? Number three, and this is where I want to camp for a minute. To return to right method, we need to fear the Lord. Everyone say, fear God. It doesn't sound well, right? It doesn't sound good in our culture. Fear God. It just doesn't sing well. It just doesn't, it doesn't seem, doesn't have the right optics. Fear God. It just feels like it's wrong. The Bible itself says in, in Proverbs, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, I think if there's one thing that seems to typify our culture more than any other thing, it's this. I don't think we understand the fear of God anymore. We want God to be our buddy. We want God to be our pal. We want God to be our savior. But can I just be so bold as to tell you this? We don't want God to be our God. Because if he's Lord, he gets to decide what is truth. He gets to decide what is right. Yet so many of us don't. We decide to do it ourselves and do it our own way. 
It's interesting, the word Uzzah actually, by definition, means the word strength. Uzzah, his definition of his name means strength. I think it's, it's funny to me how, how God would show us this thing about the fear of God. Uzzah shows up on the, on the threshing floor, get this, human strength shows up on the threshing floor and says, you know what, God? Even though the ark seems to be tipping off, here's the deal, I'm going to go ahead and control that whole thing in human strength. I think we're a lot like Uzzah. I just was thinking about this, and again, sometimes I let my brain go a little too far, but I was thinking about this threshing floor moment. And and I wondered why they ended up crossing the threshing floor. Because if a threshing floor was a place of work, and during harvest season when they were threshing wheat and throwing it up in the air, there's no way that could have been the road to get to Jerusalem. Chances are likely there was a road around the threshing floor. All I can think of was crossing the threshing floor was, well, a shortcut. How often do we just find what we want to find, which is a shortcut to get to God, a shortcut to get our way, a shortcut to try to just make it happen, a shortcut to just do our thing and, 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 and just make God happy. We're going to return his presence to the temple. We're going to do that thing, but we're just going to make a shortcut. And I can tell you there's no shortcuts with God, and yet we strive so easy in trying to make it our own way. Hmm. Uzzah knew God's gentleness, but he forgot his righteousness. I think Uzzah, you got to remember Uzzah, he was raised in the home of a man named Aminadab. Aminadab was a priest, so he was a godly man, or at least is supposed to be a Levite. Uh, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant was living at this point for 20 years in the home of Uzzah. So Uzzah, as a little boy, was raised up with the Ark of God at his home. And we don't have time to go back into the history of it, but it was there at his house because the Philistines had taken it, and long story short, ended up at Abinadab's house. So Abinadab had a couple of sons, four of them to be exact. Two of them were Uzzah and Ahio. And so Uzzah's being raised with the Ark of God in his house. I mean, what would that have been like, right? I mean, if you knew the judgment that happened just before uh, the Ark of God showed up at their house, 70 men lifted the lid of the Ark and looked inside, killed them, right? That's the only information that Aminadab has when David says, you know what? Take it to your house. Right? Can you imagine? That's the information you got. Can you imagine a little boy? You wake up and you're just like, uh, hey, Dad, why is that here? He's like, well, because 70 guys looked inside and were dead. And so you can only imagine that, you know, the Ark of the Covenant is sitting right there, and he's just like, uh, just like, I'm, I'm staying away from that, right? I don't want to get close to that, right? But can I tell you after 20 years what happens? You, you, you get a little closer. Maybe after nine years, you just get a little closer. Come on now. You're, you're, you're just you're a little comfortable with the presence of God, and it's, it ain't no thing anymore. See, I wonder sometimes if maybe Uzzah was just getting a little comfortable with God's presence, became complacent. And for him, it was just another, it was a box that lived in his house. He knew better than to look inside. But I think Uzzah got so comfortable with God's presence that he forgot God's omniscience. And can I just say to you, church, I think the problem with some of us is that we've forgotten the fear of God and we've forgotten who he is. He's a just God. He's a righteous God. Can I say it this way? He is a holy God. 
And sometimes we want to call him our buddy and our pal, and he gets it. He, would, he wouldn't do that. And we bump into this story where Uzzah just shows up and tries to stay to the ark. Immediately dies. He's holy. Is it possible that maybe Uzzah got a little comfortable and complacent with God? I wrote this down. Complacency always leads to compromise. Complacency always leads to compromise. You wonder why compromise ever happened in your life. Can I tell you it began in complacency? Yeah, you know, God doesn't care. Oh, God, God, I deserve this yet. You know? And we somehow have just removed ourselves from the conviction of the presence of God. We've forgotten that God's bigger than that. I, this is, I, I promise, uh, this is just thus saith the lance, this last little bit. And hear me out. I don't think it's biblical, but it's important that you understand this, this perspective. I always wondered, I always wondered, but when I, when I looked at the threshing floor and I, I saw that the threshing floor was this beautiful picture of a relationship between God and us, and the millstones in the middle, and this beautiful picture of, of, of us and Uzzah and Ahio start to drive the ark of God across the threshing floor. Again, I don't think this is even how it worked out, but I just wonder. I wonder if God in his mercy, and I mean God in his mercy, just said, you know what? I get it. You don't really understand what you're doing. Go ahead and just bring, you have it on a cart. You've traveled this far, so I don't know. But what if just for fun, God just said to himself, hey, I'll show them. I'm gonna, I, I want to open that, that, that box. I, I want to open it up and pour out my presence because the Ark of the Covenant was a picture of my presence. I want to pour it out on the threshing floor because the threshing floor is a picture of all of us, the picture relationship between man and God. This is the oxen stumble. Can I tell you a place that oxen would never stumble? was a flat ground with no roots, no rocks, no sticks, no nothing, because it was a threshing floor. It was flat. Why did the oxen stumble? What if God intended on pouring out his presence on the threshing floor, showing us, listen, you come to me and I'll pour my presence out into your life. And, and you know what? what Uzzah did? Uzzah did what we do. No. No. I, can't. I don't want your presence, God. I'll do it my way. What if just for a minute God wanted to pour his presence out into your life and we are just like Ohio and all of our human strength and we say, not on my watch. Some of us are living just like that today. We have our hands propped up and we're saying, no, God. In fact, it really looks more like this. No, God, come closer. Translation, I just want you when I want you. I just want you when I need you. Can I just help you realize? <laughs> he loves you enough to send his son into the world to die for you. When are we going to finally catch the clue and surrender our lives to him? Because he alone is worthy. So we got a couple minutes left. I just feel like we need to repent. That's just a fancy word of saying, get right with God. In church, I, I didn't know who was going to be at church today. Easter was packed out last week, and I kept on hearing the Lord just say, you know who's going to be there? 
Whoever's going to be there is who I'm telling you to be there. So you're supposed to be here. You're supposed to hear this deeper message. And it's for you. Some of you have been playing around with God long enough. Some of you have been getting your information about God in the wrong places. Some of you have forgotten the fear of God and the living, the cotton candy of God. And then God is saying, enough. Come to me. So I want to pray for you. Can we do that? Lord, this morning we come. And God, I pray for these men and women, Lord, these boys and girls, every bit of the person who's sitting in this room. God, I pray today that we would yield our hearts to you. You know who you are. Come on, this is between you and him. You talk to him. Maybe you need to ask him for forgiveness. Maybe you need to repent and just say, God, I'm... I've been doing it my way and my hands have been so propped up against your presence. I don't want you to come near. I'm afraid of what you'll see. I got news for you. He already knows who you are. So maybe this morning you could just simply say, God, I surrender my life to you. Maybe for the very first time, maybe today you is the very first time you're finally saying enough's enough. God, I'm giving you all of me. Or maybe it's the first time in a long time. And you know where you've been. And God's saying, come on now. Stop sticking around on the edge. Come in the middle where I am. And I want to fill you up today. Go ahead, just between you and him. God, I give you all of me. Thresh us like wheat today, God. Blow away the chaff and expose the kernel of wheat, the life-giving flower, Jesus. We lay ourselves on your threshing floor. We ask for you, God, to be big in us. In Jesus' name, amen.